Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. We are so glad to welcome you to Channel 127. Thanks to the great Dino Badala and his exquisite team for a wonderful live lead-in. As always, my name's John Fugelsang. Welcome to our little corner of the Sirius Hemisphere. Chris Hauseltz, our executive producer out of South Carolina. Thea Harper produces our show out of Brooklyn. I come to you from Manhattan. And for the next three hours, we're going to be coming at you with a lot of fun, a lot of brutal truths, and as many ways to make fun of it as we possibly can here. We have a really good one. The Rude Pundit will be joining us later on this evening. Very glad to have some of Lee Papa's rudeness. Also, uh, it is Giving Tuesday. Happy Giving Tuesday to you. You know, Kid Rock has a Giving Tuesday of his own, but that, that, that involves Valtrex. However, I'm very pleased to welcome back to the show Teresa Younger, who is the president and CEO of the Ms. Foundation for Women. Today, they released their uh, research study, Living with Pocket Change, What It Means to Do More with Less. And it examines real-life experiences about how philanthropy isn't really there when it comes to organizations that help women or non-binary people of color. And it uh, issues a call for care-based philanthropy because, you know, uh, waiting for the billionaires to save us all is not the best strategy for bringing equality around. Um, You might have heard about this Boeing 787 that landed at JFK Airport today in New York City. Um, Virgin Atlantic trip. And it was a very, very special plane flight. It was uh, the first commercial wide-body airliner that crossed the ocean powered 100% by sustainable aviation fuels, in this case, mostly used cooking oil, has a 70% lower life cycle emissions, including production and other steps through combustion than regular fuel, according to the airline. Kind of awesome to imagine low emission plane travel. There's a lot to get to today, guys, so I'm glad you're with us. Again, our number. 866-997-4748. Hello to all of our evil army of the night who listen live. And hello to all the daywalkers who listen on demand the next day or on the Fuel Sang podcast or on the SiriusXM app. You're always welcome to stay up late some night and join us. 41 workers trapped in a collapsed tunnel in India were rescued today after 17 days underground. Everyone made it out okay. The Sandy Hook families offered Alex Jones a settlement where he would only need to pay 6% of the one and a half a billion he owns them, about $85 million over 10 years. 
A massive storm is really hitting the Great Lakes in upstate New York, dumping several feet of snow in just two days' time. We had light snow flurries today in New York City. That happens very rarely in the month of November. Also, Hamas freed 10 more Israeli hostages today after they and Israel agreed to extend the pause in fighting by two more days. And Hunter Biden, we're going to talk about him tonight. He told the House Oversight Committee he would gladly testify in person in public, which sent James Comer and all of the other Republicans into a rage because Hunter Biden called their bluff. I like it when these same godless Republican prostitutes who constantly scream about Hunter Biden on TV suddenly get real camera shy when Hunter Biden offers to discuss things and talk them out on TV. And I apologize if that was rude to prostitutes. And of course, you probably saw some of this footage today. Former First Lady Rosalind Carter was honored at a memorial service with a very impressive host of dignitaries, including her 99-year-old husband, former President Carter, who is in hospice, has said farewell to public life and made a 140-mile trip today to be there with his wife of 77 years. My God, they've been married longer than my dad got to be alive. 77 years. Jill Biden was there. President Joe Biden was there. And all living former first ladies who were in attendance, including Melania Trump, who wore light gray. Now, everyone else wore black. Melania wore light gray. This made MAGA world very happy. Uh, Todd Headley, poster from Arizona, said how utterly delicious it is that gorgeous Melania Trump showed up at the Rosalind Carter funeral today looking stunning in gray, while literally everyone else is in black. She stood out and upstaged everyone else. Well played, Melania Trump. Yeah, that's a grown man who's a Trump supporter applauding Melania Trump for upstaging everyone else who's wearing black at the funeral of a good person. To be fair, I don't know if you saw the dress, but the gray really does bring out the dead in her eyes. Here is uh, James Earl Carter, who spoke beautifully today at the service, talking about his parents' working partnership and Rosalind Carter's White House wisdom. My parents... 77-year partnership is often talked about. Mom was always well-informed on the issues of the day. In the White House, Mom asked Dad so many questions that he finally said that she should attend cabinet meetings. So she did and caught a lot of flack for that. But she was then able to speak with authority on issues across our country and the world. She would often try and often fail to get Dad to do what was right politically. And when she couldn't change Dad's mind, she would repeat to herself, a leader takes people where they want to go. A great leader takes people where they need to go. The Carter's grandson, Jason, told the New York Times that uh, President Carter is coming to the end. And he's very, very physically diminished. I, I've never in my life witnessed a person who's, I mean, I've, I've been around a lot of hospice care in my life. My mother was a geriatric nurse, and I grew up around a lot of this. I've, I've been in the room when a lot of people passed. I've never seen someone who's going through hospice, who leaves hospice, and is shown on TV. And it is yet another testament to Jimmy Carter's character and bravery and love. 
He and his wife were married for 77 years. That's the longest marriage of any first couple in, in U.S. history. He's the longest living president in U.S. history. Rosalind Carter is the second longest living first lady. Uh, only Bess Truman lived longer. She made it to 97. And our friend Ali Velshi tweeted earlier today, I love this, Jimmy Carter first got Secret Service protection on the 8th of October, 1975, when he was running for president. The Carters were protected by agents for more than 47 years and counting, so far, 17,583 days, making them the longest Secret Service protectees in history. And maybe some of the poorest as well. All right. The Koch Political Network today delivered maybe the most important endorsement of the Republican primary so far. They really don't want Donald Trump to win the nomination. You know that, right? It, w- it used to be the Koch father. He helped start John Birch Society. Then he had his two sons, and they were evil. And, you know, the one died. The other one's still there. And they built a ballet house. And so they think it's okay for them to, you know, be fascists and oligarchs. You know the, the Kochs. They really don't want Donald Trump to be the nominee. And they are going to spend millions and millions and millions of their billionaire dollars to try and beat him. And this was a really humiliating blow to Ron DeSantis' campaign. But the Charles Koch Political Network, Americans for Prosperity, which again, has spent hundreds of millions of dollars in our politics in the last few years, is throwing their financial support and their organizational support behind Nikki Haley. I mean, the Koch organization might not be as big as it was a decade ago, but they're going to spend tens of millions to defeat Donald Trump, and then they'll spend tens of millions to defeat Joe Biden. But this is not just the millions of dollars they're going to spend. I mean, this is organizing and door knocking. Their their organization is very, very, very well put together, has a wide reach. This is a big win for Nikki Haley. And there is, to be fair, still a chance that Donald Trump, who is facing 91 criminal charges and who is becoming increasingly unhinged and whose health is very, very bad, will quite probably or possibly crash and burn before he can even get to the convention. So, I mean, it could still be Nikki Haley. If it's a race to see who can race the number one once number one drops out, Nikki Haley got the biggest leg up anyone has had. She needed a boost to separate herself from DeSantis. They are both trying to consolidate the anti-Trump factions, what's left of them, of the conservative movement. And, of course, what's left of actual conservatives. So the donor class has decided, after all this year of hype of Ron DeSantis, that Nikki Haley is the Republican Party's best shot to move on from Trump. And, by the way, DeSantis just got AFP Actions endorsement last year. But this year, no. They said in sharp contrast to recent elections that were dominated by the negative baggage of Donald Trump, Nikki Haley at the top of the ticket would boost candidates up and down the ballot, winning the key independent and moderate voters that Trump has no chance to win. So they've already got an ad supporting Nikki Haley. Uh, DeSantis's people flipped out. The campaign said, like clockwork, the pro-open borders, pro-jailbreak bill establishment is lining up behind a moderate who has no mathematical pathway of defeating the former president. That's Andrew Romeo from the DeSantis campaign. The Nikki Haley campaign came out right away and said, hey, y'all, he just took this endorsement a year ago, and now you're calling them pro-open borders, pro-jailbake bill establishment? I mean, just yesterday, DeSantis was attacking Trump for attacking Iowa leaders who don't endorse him. But they're all thin-skinned. So congratulations to the former U.N. ambassador, former South Carolina governor. She said she's very honored. She said it's a choice between freedom and socialism. So that's the first thing she said. She's going to begin this by lying. 
individual liberty and big government fiscal responsibility and spiraling debt. We have a country to save. So what does this mean for Nikki Haley? It means they're going to call her a moderate, my friends. And you need to know this. She's not. She's a political opportunist who believes next to nothing. Nikki Haley will say and do whatever is necessary to move ahead her career. And I only say this based on everything she's ever done. She changes positions like a yoga teacher on tainted meth, from abortion rights to immigration to whether overturning or trying to overturn an election is cool. When it comes to economic policy, she's hardcore right wing. She wants more tax cuts for the rich and more benefits cuts for working people. She is the opposite of what a populist is. And since the Coke money is now moving from DeSantis to Haley, let's refresh our memories of some of her greatest hits, shall we? Because really, no one's taken her campaign too seriously. Probably shouldn't. She's probably never going to get the nomination. But just just indulge me. The reason no one's talking about Nikki Haley's real record is because no one takes her campaign seriously. When she was governor of South Carolina, she was the one who refused federal funding to expand Medicaid under Obamacare to bring medical care to the poorest residents of her state. South Carolinians whose income is too low to afford anything for insurance premiums. Nikki Haley blocked it. She didn't want that Medicaid funding. She'd rather have poor people showing up at emergency rooms when they need care, in which case it is the local taxpayers who foot the bill. That is socialism. That's what she fought for. She helped Boeing kill any chance of unions taking root at their South Carolina plant. And then when she left the Trump administration, she got paid off with a part time job on the Boeing board of directors for over three hundred thousand dollars a year. Spoiler alert. Nikki Haley has no experience with aerospace in her resume. Um, Earlier this year, she said that Ron DeSantis's Don't Say Gay Act didn't go far enough. She's palling around with Moms for Liberty. Last year, she was campaigning in Georgia for Herschel Walker. That should be all you need to know. Herschel Walker believes that abortion should be illegal even when the mother's life is in danger. Herschel Walker thinks pregnant women should die. And Nikki Haley went on the road to put him in office. Nikki Haley will do nothing to make it harder for criminals to easily get guns. And she's calling for an increase in the age at which Americans become eligible for Social Security. This, this, you know, this, I, I could have just talked about this because this is all it's going to take. Your campaign's done. You know, life expectancy average 65, right, in this country, but it was rising. But the life expectancy was rising among Americans with high incomes. Poorer Americans since COVID, people who depend the most on Social Security for food, they have not seen a rise in life expectancy. And in some cases, they've seen declines. Now, we as a country talk a lot about how much we're taxed, but we don't tax the rich people much at all. We used to, and that's how we built a middle class. We've stopped doing that for the past 45 years, and you can see how well that's worked out. For the middle class, which is now the top of the bottom, we collect less revenue as a percentage of our GDP than almost any other advanced economy. And Nikki Haley wants it lower. She wants to cut income taxes. How do you pay for this? <laughs> Raise the age for Social Security to 70. And again, folks, poor people are going to die before they can ever collect this is by design. Nikki Haley tweeted earlier, under Joe Biden, we now have more than 42 million people on food stamps and nearly 100 million people on Medicaid, almost a third of the country. He sees that as an accomplishment. It's a failure. 
but here's the deal, Nikki. Your party has zero policies designed to help poor people. The Republican Party has no plans to get people off of Medicaid onto private insurance. They have no plans to get people off of SNAP. And by the way, we spend less than 1% of our budget to keep poor people from starving. And she calls that failure. But really, let's, let's talk about the race thing with Nikki. She grew up in a small South Carolina town as the daughter of immigrants who still experienced racist insults and slurs. And she likes to tell that story to some media outlets. Then she'll turn around and say how America is not a racist country. She likes to criticize identity politics while always highlighting her own identity as her main qualification. She says, I was the first minority governor and a real shock to the state, the first girl governor as well. She does this all the time. She uses her Indian American identity or her female identity in a clear case of identity deployment. She, she deploys a very selective version of her ethnic identity to reach wider audiences. And she uses it to claim that she's proof of the American dream. What she's really doing is pushing the model minority myth and the myth that we still live in a meritocracy where hard work will lead to success because it doesn't. And then there's the Confederate flag. The most naked example of what she's really made of was how much she embraced the Confederate flag, which, for those of you in the back, flag of an enemy nation. But she loved it on the state house. I remember I made a movie in South Carolina. I was at the Capitol. I couldn't believe the flag of treason and slavery flew from their capital. There's footage in 2010 of Nikki Haley telling a pro-Confederate group that states have the right to secede from the United States if they feel like it. Here's a little bit where she talks about, uh, to Glenn Beck about the flag as a symbol of service, sacrifice, and heritage. Play that one, Chris. South Carolina fell to her knees when this happened. This is one of the oldest African-American churches. These 12 people were amazing people. They loved their church. They loved their family. They loved their community. And here is this guy that comes out with his manifesto holding the Confederate flag and had just hijacked everything that people thought of. And we don't have hateful people in South Carolina. There's always the small minority that's always going to be there. But, you know, people saw it as service and sacrifice and heritage. And but once he did that, there, there was no way to overcome it. And the national media came in in droves. They wanted to okay. define what happened. Did you get that? Did you hear what you just said? She's talking about the, the Dylan Roof's massacre at the Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church, where she killed nine people, all African-Americans. Uh, and she said how the Confederate flag was about service and sacrifice and heritage until Dylan Roof hijacked it. Brothers and sisters, the Confederate flag, and I say this is a half-Southerner, was about service and sacrifice to a heritage of owning, raping, torturing, mutilating, working enslaved human beings to death, and selling their children and breaking up their families while taking up arms against the U.S. Ooh, but then Dylan Roof made it look bad. Guys, if Nikki Haley's a profile in courage, what are the millions of people who didn't need nine dead before they could oppose the flag of slavery? As South Carolina historian Daniel Hollis said, loyalty to our ancestors does not include loyalty to their mistakes. And finally, there's Trump. I got to wrap this up because our guest is going to be in the wings. But when he was running, Nikki Haley said Donald Trump is everything we teach our kids not to do in kindergarten. And as soon as she realized he was going to win the nomination, she endorsed him and went to work for him. After January 6th, she said she was disgusted by his actions. But then she put her finger up and felt where the wind was blowing, abandoned that once again. She has no convictions. This year, she was one of the first to raise her hand on stage when the Republican debaters were asked if they would support Trump. When has Nikki Haley ever stood up to Republican extremists? 
Why should anyone listen to her? What notable achievements does she have to her credit? What problem-solving ideas, what new policies does she have to offer beyond saying, I'm only 51, I represent the future? What new ideas? Well, you know how this is going to play out. They're going to give her millions of dollars to defeat Donald Trump. She's going to lose. It might be Trump's running mate, but she's going to lose. So at the end of the day, we can thank Nikki Haley for going up to the Koch Foundation and uh, redistributing their wealth. We'll be right back. This is Sirius XM Progress, 866-997-4748. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey, everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on. Because you know I love it when you do. Welcome back. So organizations that are led by women or, and or non-binary leaders of color are really at the forefront of some of the most urgent struggles of our times. I mean, we talk a lot about how black women always save democracy, but women of color have led almost every impactful grassroots movement in the history of this country, from the suffragettes, the civil rights movement. Let's never forget, Rosa Parks was not a tired lady on a bus. She was a trained activist who knew it was her time. Criminal justice reform, farm workers' rights, fair wages for domestic workers, stopping racial profiling. It's very important that the people with money in our society support and invest in and show real care for these kind of leaders. And so this is Giving Thursday. And where we give our money, who we give our money to, and how we give matters. Women and non-binary leaders of color have been at the forefront of all of these successful social movements, yet they are tragically underfunded in their organizations and are experiencing a crisis of burnout. They need more than pocket change. Now, according to the Ms. Foundation for Women's Groundbreaking Report, Pocket Change, How Women and Girls of Color Do More with Less, giving to women and girls of color accounts for only 0.5% out of the $66.9 billion given by foundations. Only 0.5%. It's just $5.48 per woman and girl of color in the U.S. out of 70 billion. Pocket Change urged philanthropic community members to give more, to give better, and with greater transparency 
to gender and racial justice movements. Well, now the Ms. Foundation has published their latest research, Living with Pocket Change, What It Means to Do More with Less. Maybe you've been there yourself. This examines the impact on real-life experiences of chronic philanthropic underinvestment and disinvestment in the leadership of women and non-binary people of color. So I'm so pleased to welcome back to the show Teresa Younger, who is an activist, an advocate, a great public speaker, a strategist. She is also the president and CEO of the Ms. Foundation for Women. She's behind Living with Pocket Change, What It Means to Do More with Less, which is a new book that really issues a call for better, smarter, care-based philanthropy. Ms. Younger, it's a pleasure to welcome you back to SiriusXM. Especially on this Giving Tuesday, this opportunity for people to do an analysis of our own individual uh, participation in the change we want to see in the world. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you because this issue is very close to my heart. Women and, and girls of color do incredible things. They, they keep our economy running uh, in their communities with very limited resources, many barriers to fu- funding. And yet they've been at the forefront, like I said, of almost every civil rights movement we've had. So let's talk about the report. First off, for those who haven't read it in previous incarnations, why do you call the report Pocket Change? So uh, the trend pocket change is really uh, a reflection on our grandmothers. What was in the bottom of our bags uh, when they went to the store after they had served their community and worked many, many hours? It was pocket change. And so the the title pocket change is to challenge philanthropy, to think about how many dollars it actually is moving. And when you think of 0.5 percent of all philanthropic dollars, that's less than a penny per woman and girl of color that's going towards women and girls of color. You know, when you think about it, that's pocket change. That's not an Mm -hmm. investment. That's not a full dollar. That's pocket change. And so we wanted to put it in context of what is really getting invested. And it's what's at the bottom of your purse. It's not what actually makes it into your wallet. And in order to invest in the change we want to see in this country and globally, we need to think about what's in our wallet, not just what's left at the bottom of our bags. You know, how do you define philanthropy? I mean, it, it's it's a term that has gone from being something very inspiring to, I, I got to tell you, a term that scares me a lot. We We are so just relying more and more on the benevolence, kindness, and largesse of wealthy people instead of having a society that funds the people who need it most. How do you define philanthropy? And, and what is it supposed to do? What is the purpose of philanthropy supposed to be? So... Be clear, the Ms. Foundation is public philanthropy. We are about building collective power. We are not one major person who gave us a wealth of money um, or one major corporation or business or group of, of family members who you know made money on the backs of others. We are actually about building collective power. So it is the goodness of mankind, uh, which is kind of of this idea that philanthropy is the the goodness that we all come together. Philanthropy is not supposed to be the end-all, be-all of social change in this country. And I think we have to come to terms with that. So the challenge that we are presenting in pocket change, how women and girls of color are doing more with less, Uh, which was 1.0. And the second part of that, uh, living with pocket change, um, is a a 2.0 version. The reality is philanthropy does have a role to play in its relationship to the nonprofit sector. Uh, 
And philanthropy does have a role to play in how it treats and the benefit it treats individuals and the benefits that it gets from the tax structure that is out there. The Mintz Foundation being a public foundation means that we rely on the collective power of individuals to Mm. uh, help raise the money. And then we determine that we move that money to the field. We're not a private foundation like a Ford or a Hewlett or a Kellogg or a Robert Wood Johnson. We are not one of those organizations, but we're accountable to challenging those organizations to fund better, um, mm-hmm. to to use the money that they have earned um, and that is is, you know, housing them into perpetuity to have a real impact and to do it in a way that has a social value and social reality to what we're trying to do. So we're modeling it as a small nonprofit foundation that's raising the money and moving it to the field. And we're challenging the rest of philanthropy to do it better. And quite honestly, we're challenging government to do it better. See, philanthropy and government are supposed to be in coordination with each other. That's the way I look at it, yeah, right? you're right. You're I, right. I look at it is, you know, right now, this is the Ms. Foundation's 50th anniversary year also. And we've been asking the question, how do we create the world that we deserve? And it's been a fascinating answer because people are talking about the basic necessities of human rights that the government, I believe, should be providing for us. Healthcare, mm-hmm. housing, education, food, health, you know, all of those kinds of things. And philanthropy through a tax deductible contribution is supposed to complement, not provide, but complement those right. services that help build a community and that help build our society. So, you know, at the Ms. Foundation, we support grassroots organizations led by women and girls, particularly led by women and girls of color and gender non-conforming folks who are making change in their community. We're not saying you have to do it in one particular way because we know that's not how it happens. Uh, You know, and so, but we we fund those organizations within the United States. So when I I think it's a good question to ask, what do you say, you know, what do you consider philanthropy? I consider philanthropy an arm of making public change and building out communities we want to have. But it is not the only way and it is not the, it is not, uh, it does not uh, obligate or obfuscate the federal government from providing the services in our communities or municipal governments or state governments from providing the services that need to happen. That's actually the best definition I've ever heard of the term. (laughs) Thank you. I mean, uh, the new edition, Living with Pocket Change, what it means to do more with less, it's it's so data-driven. And it's all about how these women and these organizations that are systemically underfunded still manage to rise to so many of these challenges with great resilience, great ingenuity. Uh, I'm curious, what among the results surprised you with this report? So between you and I and all of your listeners, I I can tell you, having run nonprofits uh, before I got to the Ms. Foundation and I'm running this national nonprofit, There's nothing that surprises me except 
the crisis by which we are burning out our leaders who are doing the work in their communities. I think to understand uh, the world that we are living in. So let me let me just give you a scenario. Please. Many people who are doing the work on the ground in our communities are doing it with their heart, are doing it because it impacts them. So whether it is uh, ensuring that people have food on their table or whether they have housing or whether they uh, have re access to reproductive rights and justice or mm -hmm. whether they have racial equity, they are doing it from a place that is very intimately personal to them. And if you look at the past four years in this country from 2019 to 2023, you will see that we are in constant um, motion around crisis in our country. Even before 2020, even before COVID and a racial uprising, all right, and a lockdown of our society and needing to care for, for our own children and care for family members in our home, not being able to go to work, missing work and not being paid, right? All of these things, even before all of that was taking place, we were in the midst of a crisis. Um, many nonprofit leaders, and in this report, we spoke mostly with nonprofit leaders who were running organizations of under $2 million, which mm -hmm. is the majority of nonprofits in this country. So it's not your hospitals and it's right. not your churches per se, but it is the organization that's making sure there's food on the table, that's running the after school program, that's running the voter writing program, that's ensuring that people are getting to the polls. Like there, there's a whole plethora of groups out there who have these tiny little budgets. And so for me, the surprise was how hard these leaders are working how long they have been underinvested in and how much they are burning out. And yeah. if we don't have their commitment to making the world a better place, what do we have? Who's going to be there to fight those fights for us, to organize people to testify at city council meetings, to ensure that people have rides to the voting polls, to make sure that we have, you know, people speaking about school boards and access to all the books that every child should have access to you know mm -hmm. what does all of that look like and then you get into the details of the realms around rape reproductive rights and domestic violence and voting rights and environmental justice you know you just there's there's so many of those issues and so what this report did was we did pocket change uh, how women and girls of color are doing more with less, which was a data-driven conversation because we yes. say women and girls of color are getting so much less than other women and girls. And people go, that just sounds like you're overreacting. Well, women and girls in this country are getting 1.8% of all philanthropic dollars. 1.8%. Women and mm. girls in general. The majority of those dollars honestly are going right down to the to the line and are mostly being given around health care and mostly around reproductive rights and justice. Okay, yeah. so 1.8% of all philanthropic dollars. That's all philanthropic dollars. Education gets in there, environmental issues get in there, of dollars going towards women and girls. So then yep. we said, okay, what does that look like one step further? What does it look like when we're talking about women and girls of color? And we found out that was less than half a percent 
less than half a percent of all philanthropic dollars are going to women and girls of color. So we said, okay, so now we have the data. It's not arguable. This is the data. It's telling us mm -hmm. realistically we can break it down. What is the impact of that? And so living with pocket change tells us the impact from those who are doing the work in their communities of, of, of what it means to be underinvested in, yeah. what it means to be working for healthcare, but not have healthcare yourself. I was reading in one of the reports that the, the median size of grants made by foundations to organizations by and for women and girls of color, medium size of grants, is $15,000. Now, I don't have your experience in the nonprofit sector, but it seems like $15,000, it's pretty rough to, to, to pay a staff to get workspace, to actually run an organization when that's the main, the, 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 the general size of grants you could hope to receive. Well, I mean, I think we have to put it all in context, right? So it, it's it's it, there are knock-on effects that I think people go, well, you know, how do we know that they're using that money for what we're giving it to them for? Well, we have to trust that they are. Um, sure. The majority of organizations are. And at the Ms. Sure, Foundation, we trust the organizations that we give our dollars to. But here's the knock-on effect. If, a, if you're only giving, you know, if an if a organization only has a, um, half a million dollars and they need to pay their ED and then they need to pay their staff um, and the the salary of the ED determines how many taxes they pay, and that determines how much they get in Social Security, right? Then right. we've got people who have committed their life to changing and working in their communities who are not making enough money and don't have, uh, you know, health care and don't have retirement because they've kept their salaries low because nobody wants them to make too much money. That's it. And that's hardly ever the case. I mean, oh. if you talk, you talk to people, I'm sure you and I know them, and many of, of your listeners know them, people that are out there doing the work, they're not doing it for the money. They are not doing it for the money. They are doing it because they believe in helping their community, making the world a better place, making sure that people have a voice in our government. They're doing it for a variety of reasons. They're not doing it for the money. So how do we, you know, one of the things we bring up in in the in the second part of pocket change um living with pocket change is what if we funded organizations like we loved them and we wanted them to win yes what if we funded them like we loved them and we wanted them to win and so we said to philanthropy big philanthropy the big organizations the big foundations what if you funded people every year for 10 years instead of every year, year to year, right? If I know I what it. my budget is going to be next year, then I can plan on it. I don't have to wait, right? Uh, if I know yeah. what I'm, I have coming in, then I can make a plan for making the change in my community that I want to have, right? If I know what that looks like. And so, you know, we're asking philanthropy. I mean, our job at the Ms. Foundation is to not just fund grassroots organizations, which we do, um, but it's to challenge philanthropy to be a better image of themselves. What does it mean to fund organizations multiple years at levels that are higher than just these like mini, mini amounts of money, right? Yeah. 
make a real commitment to them. What would it look like if we also invested in their professional growth or in their capacity building, right? Mm -hmm. So not just the, what does it take to do the program? What does it take to pay the staff? But what does it mean to actually have time to build up your organization and work together and resolve issues? What does it mean to care, right? What if we actually invested in people taking care of themselves and not saying that was lavish? You took a day off, that's lavish, Exactly. No, it's not, you know? And so I think there's so many pieces that we're trying to do. We're asking philanthropy to step up to the plate and do better, not ask our grantee partners out there in the field to divide their lives up. If you're a nonprofit leader, you I'm sure you're listening to this and I'm, I'm saying, you know, philanthropy says things like, tell us what you're doing in environmental justice, or tell us what you're doing in reproductive justice, or tell us what you're doing in racial justice, or tell us what you're doing in economic justice. We're like, this is what we fund. You tell us what you're doing in it. And what we know from talking with our grantee partners in the field is they have multiple issues they're working on. You can't work on reproductive justice and not work on environmental justice and not work on economic justice. You can't have those things separated out. They're all combined together. Mm -hmm. And so what we're saying is, you know, and you can't just say we're only going to do voting rights, but we're not going to do, you know, testifying uh, testimonials. Right. So what are the multiple issues and the multiple strategies? So we're challenging philanthropy to de-silo de-silo, don't break it up, actually make it broader and see how people respond. Teresa Younger is president and CEO of the Ms. Foundation for Women. How can our listeners learn more about uh, Pocket Change 2.0, also known as living with Pocket Change, what it means to do more with less? Yeah, so uh, we encourage you to go to our website. The website is www.forwomen.org. F O R W O M E N for women.org. And you'll, you know, you can download the report. If you are a nonprofit leader or a philanthropic leader, we ask you to download it and read it and then use it. If you're a nonprofit leader, use the data. This is real Mm. data. Um, Use the data in your grant proposals. Download Pocket Change uh, 1.0, Living uh, How Women and Girls of Color Are Doing More with Less. Download that. Tell philanthropy that they are not giving enough, whether that is your community foundation, your local, your your women's foundation, a large foundation you never heard of. Tell them your story from your perspective. Um, And so, you know, we say go go and pull the data. The data is there for people to use and we want them to read it. And then we want them to share their stories with us. Thank you so much for joining us again, and thank you for all you do. This is very, very inspiring. Thank you so much for having us, and we hope that people read the report. And This is about making the world better, and we have to trust people and that we are in it together. And so, you know, let's not just uh, let's not just talk about the pocket change. Let's go beyond pocket change, and let's start funding this movement leaders like we love them and we want to win. Teresa Younger, thank you so very much. We'll be back in just a moment with your calls. This is SiriusXM.
As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. This is SiriusXM Progress. Hi, I'm John Fugelstein. Good to have you with us on a Tuesday evening. We are at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. We're going to get to your calls in just a second. Uh, right now, however, everyone's talking about the top of the Republican presidential slate. You might be wondering, how are things on the bottom? What's it like down there where Vivek is? Well, well let's talk about our friend of the show, Chris Christie who has done this show, uh, he was on MSNBC today, and he's sticking to his game plan. He is selling himself as the person who will stand up to Donald Trump, whereas Nikki Haley will not. I want to know what you think of this particular line of campaigning. The only way to catch Donald Trump is to actually go after Donald Trump. Um, and I think I'm the only candidate in this race is actually doing that. You know, I heard Governor Haley yesterday say, um, you know, that uh, he's the right president for the right time. And that drama just seems to follow him as if he's an innocent victim in that. Like when you subvert the Constitution, some drama will ensue. When you try to block a valid election, when you lie to the American people and tell them election was stolen when it wasn't, um, when you, you know, send out a deranged uh, social media post at two o'clock in the morning on Thanksgiving morning, talking about all the people you're thankful that you hate. Um, that's why drama is there, because he creates it. And so for Governor Haley to act as if Donald Trump is some kind of innocent victim is a problem because she's trying to be everything to everybody. And you can't. Well, what do you think of that? I mean, I mean, I have a lot of issues with it. On the one hand, Chris Christie figured this out when, right? I mean, he literally helped Trump. He campaigned for him in 2020. Did he figure this out on January 7th, 2021, that Donald Trump wasn't a good guy, wasn't honest, that he was crooked? Like, Chrissy's a little late to the party for this. and He's brave. I certainly agree. But here's the more important question. And I want to put this to our Republican trolls, because I know you all listen. What's what is Chris Christie trying to do here? I mean, I, I guess he's trying, obviously, to differentiate himself from Trump and carve out the next phase of his career as being an actual real Republican who's not in the Trump cult, blah, blah, blah. But he's not going to get elected anymore with this, is he? I mean, can you be anti-Trump and win the Republican Party nomination? Is that even possible? I, I, we are at 866 
9974748. Now look, uh, most Republicans might be terrified to criticize Donald Trump. They are not terrified to criticize Hunter Biden. And I got to be honest, folks, uh, Hunter Biden, I have learned so much about him from our right wing friends. I can tell you this. He's a master criminal. He's such an incredible criminal. He's committed so many crimes and left zero evidence. That's how good he is at this. I have been convinced that I will never vote for him. But Republicans have convinced a lot of people that the Bidens did something wrong. Only 30 percent of Americans say Joe Biden did nothing wrong, according to an AP poll from last month. So the House Republicans have subpoenaed Hunter Biden and James Biden, the president's brother, as their impeachment inquiry is going into its final stages. New Speaker Mike Johnson has pretty much said they're not going to impeach Joe Biden. I was kind of hoping they would, but they they have enough problems, I guess. So Hunter Biden's lawyer today said that the president's son is open to testifying in a week or two in front of the House Oversight Committee, but that this should happen in public not behind closed doors. They sent a letter to the House Oversight Chair this morning saying he'd be happy to appear before the committee on December 13th. Abby Lowell, Hunter Biden's lawyer, said, We have seen you use closed-door sessions to manipulate, even distort the facts, and misinform the public. If, as you claim, your efforts are important and involve issues that Americans should know about, then let the light shine on these proceedings. I'm inclined to agree with this sort of thing. I think that all of this stuff should be on TV. I, I think the Supreme Court hearings should be on TV, not just their confirmation, their jobs. I think executions should be on TV. We pay for all this stuff. We should get to see it. Well, Jim Comer immediately went into a huge hissy fit over this, uh, saying, oh, no, he's got to sit for a deposition as required by the subpoena. Hunter Biden's trying to play by his own rules instead of following the rules required of everyone else. <laughs> that won't stand with House Republicans. Because we all know how deeply House Republicans respect congressional subpoenas. Not every Republican agrees with this. Josh Hawley, I think he was right. He said, my view is the American people have a right to see. If you do this stuff in private, what happens is there's inevitably bunches of leaks. Just do it in public. There you go. I'm agreeing with Josh Hawley again. I mean, private testimony allows Congress, not the witness, to control the narrative, right? When Democrats were investigating about impeaching Trump with Ukraine, they kept most of their testimony private, and then they would leak out the damaging revelations as they got them. Democrats probably wouldn't want Donald Trump to testify in live open Congress hearings because he would then control the narrative. And Hunter Biden has begun suing these people who've been lying about him and smearing him for the last couple of years. As someone who cares about people in recovery, I, I guess that's good to see. To me, I, I, I don't really care. What happens to Hunter Biden? You know, go ahead and put him in jail if he's guilty of something. Lock him up for life. I'm not in a cult. I don't care. In fact, I think we should investigate the business dealings of all children of all presidents, starting with Jared Kushner and working our way out. I mean, go ahead. Go after Hunter Biden. Go after every presidential child. The problem is the people who really want Hunter Biden's business dealings in Ukraine investigated don't want Jared Kushner's business dealings with Saudi princes who murdered journalists investigated. Hunter Biden's attorney said a public proceeding would prevent selective leaks, manipulated transcripts, doctored exhibits, or one-sided press statements. And he said they're open to any other date next month the two sides could agree on. Comer said no. These guys have been going on TV cameras for three years, screaming about Hunter Biden. And when Hunter Biden says, well, hey, I'll come talk to you. In front of TV cameras. Now they're 
camera shy. We are at 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRITCH. Do we still have Kendall? Did we lose Kendall, Chris? Oh, did we lose him? Yeah, he squealed all the Kendall, way. Kendall, you magnificent racist. Call us back. We love when you call. I was all excited to have you say something that would offend everybody. Instead, let me go to Mark in North Carolina. Mark, thank you for your patience. You're on progress. Oh, I hate to overshadow Kendall. Unbelievable. I, I, I'm really sorry. I, by, by the way, I don't want you to think that you're you're a letdown because you're not an ignorant racist. I, I, I just, you know, the ignorant, oh, unhinged no. racists are just, they're entertainment gold. That's all. Well, I grew up How? with a lot of them, so I, you know, I don't need Kendall to add to it. You know, that's for sure. Right on, man. So, How are you feeling? I just, I'm, I'm, well, I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, 37 degrees tonight. It's a little cool here in Wilson, but, you know. Oof. I, yeah. I just I just I just wanted to make a, a little bit of a point. You know, I, I watched the uh, I watched the Roslyn Carter memorial today and it was just very, very moving. And, you know, if I could just be like one one hundredth of the person or the Christian that she was. Right. I mean, I would I would, I would have such an amazing life. And I just every, I mean, that you know, she's literally helped millions of people. Right. So I'm hearing yeah. all this like great stuff about her. And I, you know. Jimmy Carter was the first guy that I ever campaigned for. I passed out pamphlets when I was a kid. But anyway, wow. I'm, I'm hearing I'm hearing like all this wonderful stuff of. And you know, by the way, like I grew up with all these MAGA people, and I, I live with them. And um, they were not Christian; they are professed to be, but they're not. Rosalind, yeah, Carter, I know. In my opinion, in my she like that's the definition of a true Christian. Of that's course, I agree with you. Look at her out there. Look, look at her out there building houses for Habitat for Humanity in her mid-90s. I mean, this yeah. lady was the real deal. Yeah. To say nothing of the fact that she did more to destigmatize mental illness than just about any famous American uh, in history up until that time. Right, exactly. And, that's, and then I was like, I was like, well, that's, and then I had to go to work when the service was over. Mm-hmm. And I get in my car. I get in my car and I hear Michelangelo talking about... George Santos. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I was like that piece of, you know, and I'm like, yeah. this guy, he, he's going to get more press and he's going to get more uh, press time and press coverage than Rosalind Carter. And what a, isn't that fucking disappointing? I mean, <laughs> Well, but that's that's our whole culture. I mean, Donald Trump got the White House with because of that same mentality, right? You know, like like you know, being a douchebag gets you headlines. Being a good person doesn't. That's what I say about religion all the time. There's millions of Christians and Jews and Muslims who are getting along just fine, working together, building families together, and that's boring. And it's never going to get on TV. We need to see people behaving horribly. And so I think George Santos is really a, a symptom of the times we live in. And you know, if you don't like Marjorie Taylor Greene or George Santos or Matt Gates, there's going to be a lot more just like him. How sad is that, though? I mean, you know, you think about what a wonderful human being that was. And yeah. uh, just, just you know, and then, you know, Melania is showing up, sticking out like a, like a sore thumb. That was disgraceful. Yeah, she really, I mean, yeah. But, you know, at, at the same time, as as... As awful as it is, there's a reason why Webster Dictionary Word of the Year, most searched word of the year, was authentic. Because I think we're all, to some degree, really tired of these bullshit people, of these plastic, fake, self-serving frauds like Marjorie Taylor Greene, like George Santos. These these fake celebrities who are famous for being famous. I think we're all a part of us. I mean, at least those of us who can remember the 20th century are just getting sick of all of it. And so I do think that, 
there's a there's a flip side of all of this artificiality, and that is we have a deeper appreciation for stuff that is real, that does feel real, for music or films or novels right, that are right. good and not just pre-packaged mass appeal crap. Absolutely. Absolutely, my friend. And that was good talking to you tonight. I appreciate you very much. Great pleasure talking to you. Be well. We are at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. We're going to be joined in a few minutes by our good friend Lee Papa, the rude pundit. Reverend Sandy is on the line in California. Reverend, welcome. It's good to hear from you. Hey, John. It's great to talk to you, um, as always. How are uh, you, Reverend? You were, you, were, you were in New York. You were back in New York for a while, right? I was in New York for a while, and I had a really good time. Um, yeah, now I'm back in California, working hard, as always, just like you. Um, but I wanted to call because of... Um, so yesterday, your guest, Cliff Nesteroff, who... I'm a fan now. I didn't, I'd never heard of him, but I'm a big fan. He mentioned Richard Mellon Scaife, and my ears just perked up because he was like the Koch brothers of the 70s and 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. His foundation, he was a gazillionaire, and um, rumor is that he was a big alcoholic and not a great guy, but he funded all these right-wing Christian things, one of which was called the Institute of Religion and Democracy, and their uh, sole purpose was to stop churches from doing social justice. Now, they don't say it that way. They say it like they don't want us, just like Nikki Haley, they don't want us to be socialists or inappropriately political, right? But they don't like the Jesus parts, Sandy. They don't like the Jesus parts. That's what it is. I mean, how can you do this? This is my biggest thing in my life, these people who don't like the social justice. I'm like, well, then you need to find yourself a a religion based on shittier values and the stuff Jesus talked about, because I don't know who's a bigger social justice warrior in history or religion than the Nazarene. Right. And but Cliff said it. He said they they made it about abortion and um, and homosexuality, but it was really about racism. Always. And and so the churches were making huge strides along with, you know, like you said, the interfaith community were making huge strides against racism in the 60s. And in the 70s, things were getting interesting. And that's when they funded this movement to take the right wing religious people and elevate them. And um, and to split the churches up. And, you know, in fact, that's the seeds of what's happening. I'm a United Methodist. That's what's happened yeah. in the Methodist church. The church is split. And, and all that's the right. people, the, the, the global Methodist church is what it's called now. They are um, anti-gay. They are um, anti-abortion, anti-choice, anti-women, yeah. anti-everything. Because and what they're doing is they're trying to get back to the 70s before, you know, before women really had won rights that they won during the 70s, before That's gay people about. had really won their rights. And and it's this guy, Richard Mellonscape, his money is still funding that stuff. He's the Institute of Religion and Democracy lives on. Yeah. Yep. And it is as destructive as ever. Richard Mellonscape is one of the primary reasons Bill Clinton was impeached, mm-hmm. let's not forget. I mean, the That's money exactly those right. people just, the money they just set on fire to try to destroy the, the Clintons back in the 90s. And, you know, yep. you look at the record and, gee, rich billionaires did pretty damn fine under Bill Clinton. They just had to pay a little more yeah, taxes. That was it. <laughs> they sure did. Yeah, they did. Yeah. The economy, but Sandy, the this economy is, this is stupid. That was his 
someone's going to make a movie about this, Reverend Sandy, because I, I or a good documentary about this, because a good documentary you know, would be very uh, about how the right wing in America was focused. Uh, right wing Christianity was all about white supremacy. Just was. Yes. I mean, I mean, and still when, is. When they first put a blonde, blue-eyed Jesus in pictures in the Bible in the 1800s, it was one of the worst things right. ever happened to this poor country. So so yeah. these right-wing Christians, and they're all into their white supremacy, and they're daughters of the Confederacy, and they put up all these yeah. monuments honoring the Confederate generals because of civil rights movement, and it was all shorthand, children of ham— you know, mm-hmm. Noah's son Ham saw him naked, and he was he had a tan, and that's why black people have to be slaves. I'm not making this right. up. This is what they really believed and said. And then, you know, Dr. King died, and, and we passed civil rights. And by the 1970s, it wasn't really a good look to be nakedly Confederate N-word anti-progress screamers. And so they were sort of, you know, then Watergate happened. It was a very demoralizing time for racists. And it was five years after Roe v. Wade past sandy five years before jerry falwell ever mentioned it in a speech but what when but all of those white supremacists sort of became untethered for the grudgy 70s didn't really have a way to keep their mojos going and shifting to the entire movement to instead of being white supremacists to let's criminalize abortion even though the bible's not against it and that is what yeah. saved right-wing christianity engaged the moral majority got ronald reagan elected got george bush george bush jr and donald trump elected it was and when they made the shift and let me ask you let and the anti-gay well you. that's been consistent sandy but you're right but they really no, they no, were not about abortion they were, they were not about abortion yeah. when roe v wade passed you know this it wasn't controversial at the time nobody was outside the supreme court protesting no, it took a couple right. of In years fact, the Catholics were the only ones against it, and the, and the right-wing Protestants were like, that's interesting. The Catholics think that this should, you know, they yeah. weren't for it. They weren't for anti-choice. But what's interesting to me, too, John, is that they were, it's primarily a movement of white, straight men. Yep. And two things that white, straight men... Well, one thing that a white straight man will never, ever do is get an abortion. So it's mm-hmm. easy to, you know, and a very small percentage of white, quote unquote, straight men are, you know, either on the down low or actually out. And yeah. so most most white men are not are not gay. So these are two things that a majority of people can feel superior to other people yep. about when That's they have it. no right or reason to do so. And That's I'll finish it. by this. You know that picture of Jesus, the blonde Jesus with the blue eyes looking sort yeah. of up into heaven? I yeah. call that Jesus senior picture. <laughs> Doesn't it look like a senior picture? Yeah, it really does. Right or Ewan McGregor, the, is, right. Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, it looks like that, exactly. too. Exactly. Oh, my God. That makes the rounds every now and then. Mm, um, yeah. But, yeah. 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 But this is what Christianity is right now. my call. Thank you, Reverend. I always enjoy this. Thank you very much. We are at 866-997-4748. If you're on hold, don't go anywhere. We'll be back in just a moment with more of your calls and the rude pundit himself. Lee Papa is back. In spite of popular demand, here to slay fools. Don't go anywhere. This is Progress. Okay, guys, here's the news. The House will vote this week for a third time on a resolution to expel the pride of Long Island, America's sweetheart, 
George Santos. And this time it might actually work. Earlier today, uh, boy, man, Robert Garcia, Democrat from California. This guy is fierce. He has officially triggered another push to expel him, the most serious threat against the congressman from Long Island to date. This is a privileged motion. Robert Garcia introduced today, and it means the House must vote on expulsion within two legislative days, which will be about two weeks exactly after the release of the bipartisan House Ethics Committee that found sufficient evidence of his criminal wrongdoing. Here is Congressman Robert Garcia, Democrat of California, introducing a resolution to expel George Santos from your Congress. Mr. Speaker, pursuant to Clause 2A1 of Rule 9, I rise to give notice of my intent to raise a question of the privileges of the House. The form of the resolution is as follows. House Resolution 114 resolved that pursuant to Article 1, Section 5, Clause 2 of the Constitution of the United States, Representative George Santos be, and he hereby is, expelled from the House of Representatives. Boom. Now, maybe the Republicans will go along with this. Maybe they won't. They have a razor thin majority of four seats in the House. They don't want to see it get any smaller. What's a corrupt Republican to do? And, you know, my take on this is why the hell are Democrats trying to get this guy out of the House? I need someone smarter than me and ruder than me to make sense of all of it. Lee Papa is the rude pundit. He has tens of thousands of weekly readers. He's a regular guest on The Stephanie Miller Show. Uh, you can get lots of content from Lee on his Patreon under the username Rude Pundit. Lee, welcome back. Hey, John. Good to be back. It's good uh, to see you. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you and your family had a good one. Uh, yeah, it was very chill, very low key. And uh, but, you know, of course, it, lots of great food and lots of lots of stomach pains after. Well done. Well done. You know, Lee, I, oh. I've been looking forward to talking talking Santos with you. Well, my, my, yeah, my cat's in the shot, I know. I've been looking forward <laughs> to talking about Santos with you. You know, I, I, it's not that I love the guy, Lee. I, I, I think he's incredibly corrupt. I come from Long Island. I, I understand how douchebags get elected there. You know, to me, it's like a, a gay immigrant for Trump is kind of proof that God loves us and wants us to laugh. But um, wh- what do you make of all this? I've said for a long time that Democrats are crazy to let this guy go i mean except that they do gain the seat you know and they will they will gain the seat they will gain yeah yes yeah they will they will i mean because it'll be appointed by uh by kathy hochel the governor of, of new york um so i see what you're saying though that you know to have this poster boy of corruption that they can parade around as as much as they like but you know if if let's say there was i don't know a big election coming up next year maybe you'd want something like this to point to and say look at them how many things can they can they start i mean you know trump just threw out there you know that he's going to get rid of the he wants to get rid of the affordable care act he's seriously looking at alternatives which i love God, they're trying so hard to get this old man reelected, Mr. Papa. They are trying so hard to get old Joe a second term. Right. So how many things, how much bounty do we need here? Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's and and there's things coming up here like uh, like, you know, they may be voting on on a border security bill. They may use it Mm -hmm. as a way of trading off for Israel and uh, and Ukraine support. Um, You know, they're right. So. So maybe thinning that margin to make it even more precarious is not a bad strategy either. I mean, Mike Johnson did talk to uh, to Santos today about resigning. 
you know, telling him, think about the, you know, what's good for for the Congress and what's good for America, Uh, which, you know, of course, is really always the first thing on George Santos's mind. And that's that's been part of everything he's ever fucking done. It's so funny. I mean, look, here, here's my unpopular opinion on this. Uh, George Santos was elected in a district that Joe Biden won by over 10 points, won it by double digits. So next November, that's going to a Democrat no matter what. Right. Right. Like like right. no matter what. So what is more value for the Democrats still not having control of the House, but being behind by three seats instead of four or Picking this guy up by his ankles and beating the Republican caucus with him every day for a year. To me, what this guy represents for fundraising, the very fact that Kevin McCarthy was like trying so hard to keep George Santos safe was such a great thing to use against Kevin McCarthy. I I, I just kind of feel like it's not going to give Dems the majority, Lee. I think they'd get more bang for their buck if they just go ahead and count on that seat going into the blue column next year anyway and just use this guy like they're going to use Trump. I don't disagree with you. I I, I see much good in your in what you're saying. (laughs) But I also think that I also think that it is a it, it will quickly become a fairly local story. Um, and I think that, it, you know, you risk using him to distract from other larger issues you want. I mean, we've got yeah, corruption. We, their presidential candidate has been, you know, has 91 felony indictments. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, uh, charges against him. How many how much corruption do they need? Well, gay immigrant for Trump who lied about his religion in 9-11 is pretty juicy, Lee. I don't want to let this guy go. As a fan of comedy, I've just, you know, and look, the smart thing, the smart thing for him to do would be to resign right now, to issue an apology and to say he's going into rehab for alcohol abuse and just like, you know, and then then he can relaunch his life. He can come out and try to get a media gig somewhere at Fox or Newsmax. He could be, you know, Newsmax's pet gay immigrant, whatever. Like he has a chance to do it. I don't see this guy having that kind of grace. Lee, he's already talking about all the corruption of his colleagues. I want him to start naming names. I think we're actually like one or two scenes away from the end of Scarface, where it's just a sullen Santos and a pile of coke on a desk somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, but you know he couldn't lift up that gun at the end, his little friend. Uh, He'd just be firing randomly. Um, But... You know, you know what I want to see? I want to see him him kicked out and then immediately, you know, announce that he's campaigning again for 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 next time. Now, that oh, love would that. actually bring it all together because then we would have him to kick around some more and he would be he would have been booted out of the Congress. Yeah, that's great, because if there's one thing Long Island people love, it's Jews who lie about their Judaism and uh, people who lie about being there for 9-11. Boy, do New Yorkers respond well to those two things. It, it it always boggles my mind that they didn't get him on that the first time. It just it just blows my mind that nobody thought, wait a minute, well, maybe we should do a little bit of background checking here. But that's it, rightly. His election speaks to so many failures at once. The failure of the Republican Party, sure, but the complete and total failure of Democratic opposition research, the complete yep. and total failure of local journalism and na- national journalism Absolutely. on this, and, yeah. and the complete and total failure 
of the voters of the place I come from, the Isle of Long. I mean, just, just <laughs> boom. I, you know, and he says he's not resigning, so he's going to go down in a big, fiery bloodbath. I, I would like, because look, I don't care. I got a front row to the ticket to the freak show, Lee. I want this to be as drawn out, bloody and dramatic as possible. And I want Santos to try to get revenge on every Republican oh. who doesn't fight for him. Well, yeah. And, you know, although I do love that he's saying, you know, that that they're cheating on their wives and things like that. And you, you yes. just want to go. Yeah, man. Yeah. But that's that, that 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 that's fucked up. But it's not, you know, illegal like the shit you did. <laughs> exactly. We are at 866-997-4748. Do you think Kevin McCarthy is going to finish his term, Lee? I think he's going to I think he's going to go through it. I mean, what is at this point, what the fuck else is he going to do? Yeah, and, you I know, mean, he can just go around elbowing random members of Congress as he walks by and claiming that it was an accident. Kidney punching his foes. Yeah. I mean, look, they're all going to be lobbyists sooner or later. So, you know, if for me, fine. Go ahead whenever you want. Can, can yeah. I can I lighten it up a bit and talk about the Mideast, Mr. Papa? Oh, can, we, can we can we lighten you always it up a little bit? Get me in trouble in the Middle East. I want to get you in trouble in the Middle East. Everyone's in trouble in the Middle East. And we're all in trouble in the Middle East. A scenario you know. like this. I, I, at this point, Lee, if I'm not called a Palestinian hater and an Israeli hater 10 times a day by people that used to be my friends, I'm doing something wrong. I, I, I've seen three great divisions in our country in this century. The Iraq War, the Trump presidency, and now this horrible... Never-ending destructive conflict. Um, but today we had the process of transferring a fifth group of hostages from Hamas to the Red Cross. Uh, ten of the freed hostages are Israeli, nine women and a 17-year-old girl. Two of them were Thai. There is the two-day extension of the truce that called for Hamas to release ten more hostages today and ten more Wednesday. Um, I want to be optimistic, Lee. I, I, look, I want to believe that both Israel and Palestine will have brand new leadership by this time next year because they all deserve it. I don't know how much we have to hope for, but you know what? God bless everyone who made this temporary ceasefire happen. And, and I'm thrilled that at least some of the hostages are being sent home. I mean, there is, that is the one glimmer of good news. But we also have, you know, people that are going to cling to power on both sides desperately as long as they can and take down what whatever they can on their way out. I mean, you know, they've been trying to get rid of Netanyahu for what, you know, it's at least five, six years now, and yeah. they can't fucking get rid of him and uh it's gonna happen and, now know, though don't you think he's he's done oh, I, I mean it, like yeah he's but, done now but are they gonna do it during the war or are they gonna wait till the war yeah. is over I, I mean, what know. we've heard, the, the leaks out of the White House are the White House knows he's done and they think he might be done before the war is over. So they're trying to walk this balancing act of still deferring to him because he's still the prime minister, but knowing that they're going to be working with someone else most likely this time next year. Yeah. And knowing that, you know, the Israeli people, by and large, fucking hate him and and blame yeah. him for everything that happened and uh, and want him the fuck out of there. Um, and, and, you know, the, there are a number of Israelis that do not agree with Israel's strategy in this war. And, you know, that right. gets lost. That gets lost in the discussion. It sure does in this country. Yeah. And, well, yeah. And, and you know, we're we're more bloodthirsty about it than the Israelis are in a lot of ways, by and large, as a yeah, country. It's their blood. It's our the, leadership seems to be. Oh, you're so my favorite new genre of filmmaking, Lee, is 
Israelis in hospitals screaming at government ministers who come there with camera crews for photo ops. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's 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 the new Trump supporter giving a speech in a COVID ward on a cell phone at the like festival. It's just so many videos of these Israelis. This is not just young people and leftists protesting him anymore. I mean, they're all and they're all saying what we're saying that you caused this to happen, that you propped up Hamas and kept them in power to pay, protect yourself. I, I've come to believe, Mr. Papa, and I'm going to say this every day. The solution here, there's got to be a, a group of Israelis and a group of Palestinians who are brought in to draw up the terms. And here's what I say. They should all be under 40. I don't want to see anybody over 40 decide what's going to happen. They're not going to have to live with it. Old men are going to be dead in 10 years. Young people are going to have to live with any kind of peace agreement. I'm already getting ahead of the mob and just saying, make it be people under 40 to hammer well, out what the And if you're talking people like. under 40 in Palestine, you're probably talking 60, 70 Half percent the of population. the population. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. you can find any young people left in Palestine. Yeah. Because, I mean, they can kill every member of Hamas. And they will. Doesn't matter what we think. Mossad's going to go in there and find every... This is going to be like Munich times 10. They're going to kill every one of them. And then what? The people who replace Hamas in power will love Israel and say, thank you for showing us the error of our ways. Right. This violence begets violence. It's never going to stop until both sides make the terrible hard choice to make it stop. Both sides walk away feeling like they lost something. And both sides can be revered by their descendants for generations for stopping this destructive conflict. But you're also asking that, you know, that everybody, you know, stays, stays calm while negotiations are going on. And we've seen how that hasn't happened nearly every single time, you know, that something comes in and uh, and and, uh, whether it's radicals from Israel killing Israelis or uh, or Hamas, you know, treating its own population uh, like it's their prisoners. Boom. You nailed it. We are at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. What's it been like on campus, Lee? What has it been like for your students? Uh, I mean, you know, I'm on a, here. Here's the thing I want to say about college campuses, and I say this all the time, which is that um, there is a broad brush that colleges are being painted with right now, where you have, you know, Mitch Daniels writing an editorial in The Washington Post about, you know, about uh, the radicalism on campus and how, you know, what are we teaching the youth? And we see that on Fox and and other right wing media constantly. And and we hear it bemoaned. And it's like, the fuck are you talking about? You know, most of the college kids I know are just trying to go to class and keep their heads above the debt that you're putting them in. And when and there are, um, you know, certainly, um, you know, CUNY has been seen as a hotspot of anti-Semitism, mm-hmm. uh, the City University of New York, for those not in the New York area. And uh, and but, you know, my campus has had protests on both sides that have not gotten, you know, overly tense uh, other than, you know, the tension that's naturally in a protest. And um, and, you know, they the, the freedom of speech takes precedence because that's what our administration wants let exactly. people speak their minds and 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 you know that's the way that you get students to, to 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 listen and learn is if they know that when it's their turn to speak they will be allowed to speak exactly i mean what do you think of you know Look, we all we all do dumb things in college and i don't think that your entire future should be judged based on the most ill-advised, well-intentioned protest you ever had. I mean, I'm not surprised to see a lot of young people 
who are appalled at the treatment of the Palestinian people who then find themselves suckered into being stooges for Hamas. When I was a kid, they were suckered into being stooges for Arafat and the PLO. It's nothing new. But I certainly don't think that, a, not that I give a rat's ass about what happens to Harvard students long term, they'll be fine. Yeah. But like, I don't think someone's entire future should be canceled because of the dumbest I, uh... protest they ever did. I, you know what? A couple of sexy people from the, the Communist Party came to my campus and by God, you bet I signed up for the newspaper. The, the, what was it? Was it the Daily Worker or something like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. The Socialist yeah, yeah. Worker. Yeah. Socialist Worker. Used to get it delivered to my house. Wow. Um, yeah. They were always yeah. around NYU you know, when I was a kid. Me. Yeah. My mom That's said, oh, you know, there's an FBI file on you now. I'm like, I don't think so. And that's they, why I, I was never afraid of socialism, because I knew what it was, because I read their damn newspaper. I'm like, oh, right. health care. OK, yeah, let's fight poverty. Oh, you guys and Jesus. What a, what a great pair you could have been. Who? Yeah. <laughs> and they but all again, had great sandals. I mean, you know. <laughs> but again, this is the society of Marjorie Taylor Greene. Ignorance drives the narrative. Ignorance yeah. frames the narrative. So it's like in the time it takes to explain to someone how, you know, caring about the plight of Palestinians is not the same as liking Hamas. Fox News has spread 25 more lies about it. And that's what well, we're that's competing against. Ignorance is easily exploitable. You know, yep. ignorance is easy to 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 foster and to approvingly nod at so that you can make profit or get votes. Yeah, exactly. We are at 866-997-4748. Going to take your calls in a few minutes. 866-997-GRIT is our number. Uh, I want to ask you, though, about Nikki Haley getting all of the Coke money today. Ron DeSantis is furious. Last year, he was the pick of the Coke fan club president. Yeah. Now it's it's Nikki Haley. I'm a big fan of redistribution of wealth of oligarchs. So I think it's great that she's going to take their money and go absolutely nowhere with it. Lee, I think maybe the best part about this is it'll bring more scrutiny to Nikki Haley's uh, schizophrenic and offensive flip flopping on issues. I love there was something I read uh, that I read that that described that described the Republican race right now as the tradition that used to happen in the 1960s when there was a uh, football game that wasn't the Super Bowl, but that was the 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 two second place teams playing for, you know, <laughs> what was essentially third place. And I think it was and Vince Lombardi called it the shit bowl. And, <laughs> And uh, essentially, it. we've got Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley playing for the shit bowl. Trophy. That's it. Yeah. Every debate, it's like only one can be a distant second. That's 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 it. I mean, you don't yep. see Donald Trump beginning to show up for any of these debates, do you? I, I kind of feel like oh, he no, has no. no need to, and it would be a mistake for him to do it. No, he does. He won't even show up for 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 uh, for an interview with somebody that might be a little contentious with him. You know, he's he's he is he is hiding uh, so well right now, hiding in plain sight by staying with just friendly audiences and friendly media. And, yeah. um, you know, so, no, he's not going to. Why would he so that so that Chris Christie can go at him and. Yeah, you're right. But but in the meantime, he's he's hiding out and he's just lying nonstop. He's being a complete racist. He's he's, you know, getting in trouble with gag orders in his trials and he's beating Joe Biden in more and more polls. I am very fondly of saying I don't trust these polls. I don't believe these polls. They mean nothing. And a year from now, they're going to mean less than nothing. But but are you at all concerned by what you're saying? 
I mean, there's, of course, that little adrenaline surge when you see the polls and going, oh, fuck, it's all over. We're doomed. And then you you just have to, you know, think, all right, historically, we've seen this kind of thing before many, many times, especially when it comes to a president that's going to be reelected. We, you know, yeah. so, you know, yes, it's it's hard to take make that leap from, oh, fuck to, OK, just wait. <laughs> I mean, I, I've been saying more and more, I don't think anyone voted for Biden in 2020. I don't think that many people are voting for Biden this time. I think this is going to be election of Trump or not Trump, which is to yeah. say, I actually think Democrats should spend it as this is the reality show election. You get to vote for Donald Trump in the White House or Donald Trump in jail. That's yeah. what's on the ballot. And and, you know, and all these people that keep saying, you know, that I'm not going to vote for Biden because of this, because of that. You know, yeah. I just want to say. When you get in that voting booth, you're voting for Biden. You yeah. know, you, you, you're <laughs> saying that now. And I've been there. I was there in 1996 when yeah. I said I am not voting for Bill Clinton. I am not voting for Bill Clinton because of, you know, welfare reform and these other things. You know, fuck that guy. I, and if you'd have asked me a year out, I'd have been one of those people saying I am not voting for Bill Clinton. And when I got in that goddamn voting booth in 1996 and I stood there staring at Bob Dole and Bill Clinton, <laughs> I fucking well ended up pulling the, <laughs> pulling the lever for uh, yeah. for Bill Clinton. So See, I, I I was voted I voted in New York State that year. So I was like, I'm going for Nader. Bill Clinton's got it, and I don't care. You know, to me, if you're in a swing state, no, you don't get to play third party if you're in a swing state. But if you're in a safe blue state, go right ahead. And that was my first was, time I ever voted third party. Was that Nader year? Or Nader was the oh yeah ninety six and two thousand Ralph Ralph two thousand well two thousand was the big was the big two thousand was the big year but I voted Ralph calls me an early bird because I was yeah. throwing away my vote for him way back in the nineties but you know you're you're exactly right I don't think Joe Biden's going to have as hard of a time as it seems right now though because of Donald Trump's venality and criminality and again you mentioned it he's seriously looking at alternatives to the Affordable Care Act Lee this gets me crazy. There is no Republican alternative to the ACA because the ACA was the Republican plan. That's why the liberals were so mad at Barack Obama. It's the Romney yep. plan. Well, li liberals wanted single payer. Democrats wanted a public option. Obama said, here, have some Republican plan. And that's what they've been fighting about. And if Republicans had embraced it and said, well, it's Romney care, of course, it's Romney care. Barack Obama would have been, would have been totally fine with that and that's said, it. fine, whatever the fuck you want, just get the plan done. Yeah. <laughs> would have worked lee it is such a pleasure having you join us i'm always so grateful to have a tuesday with you what is the best way for our evil army of the night to follow root pundit and all of his many evil doings so you can follow me on threads because still locked out of twitter still locked uh, out man yeah, uh, at Rude Pundit, you can, as you said, join my Patreon uh, at Rude Pundit. I have a, something up there right now about what total dickbags Trump's lawyers are in their response to the uh, gag order filing. Um, nice. And, uh, and you know, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, all of the social medias. And you can go old school and go to the blog for free, rudepundit.blogspot.com. Lee, you are the best. Thank you for classing up our show at this late hour on a Tuesday. Have a great one and a happy December to you. This is Progress. Progress.